Welcome in. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. I'm Chad Brendel, site publisher and owner, joined by <coughs> Justin Berg, director of basketball content and host of the Bearcats Grind on Blog Talk Radio. We've, we've added another feature. Now you can get, what, what do you do, three times a week or so? Two, three times a week? Yeah, something like that. I try to go hard for 40 minutes if I can. How does that work out for you? I usually, lately I've been getting 40. I'm just trying to get some reps is the way I'm, I'm looking at it. Okay. But, but, but getting getting yesterday yesterday with um, Chris Gardner, he's good. That's the second time I've talked to him. And then uh, the guy from Wichita will be on on Friday. So, yeah, it, it, it I like it. I like the format. Pretty easy to work with. And I can, I can plug in audio clips and things like that and almost be like a, a studio guy while I'm recording the thing. So it's, I'm liking it so far. All right. Well, make yeah. sure you check that out. Justin Berg's The Bearcat Grind on Blog Talk Radio. He posts links whenever he uh, he puts an episode up. So even more UC Bearcat content provided to you here on Bearcat Journal. Make sure you check out the football board as well. Shane Kenny just posted a uh, rather lengthy article. Well, I posted it for Shane Kenny. Uh, a rather lengthy article on the return of Mike Mickens and his uh, – Desire to tap into the Michigan recruiting market. Uh, Mike Mickens, obviously former Bearcat great at cornerback, now back coaching his position group um, and hitting up Michigan very hard early in his tenure on the Bearcat coaching staff. But it is basketball season. We've got a top five team here in the Queen City that wears red and black. We won't talk about the other one. And it is a very big week this week as Cincinnati travels to Houston on Thursday night, tomorrow night, and then returns home on Sunday to play Wichita State, the first of two games with Wichita State. It closes out the season series, regular season series with Houston. Uh, As you remember, a couple weeks ago, Houston got up 18, Cincinnati won by 10. Um, Should be both very good games. Uh, We'll get a little bit of talk in on both. Uh, here throughout this show. So, Justin, we'll, uh, we'll start, though, with uh, what I think is the biggest news so far today that we have seen. Gary Clark named to the uh, top 30 for the uh, late season Wooden Award watch list. The Wooden Award obviously awarded to the, uh, the number one player in the country. Um, I have a few uh, contacts that are on the committee for the Wooden Award. This is not known from what I was told uh, from one of my contacts. Gary Clark, not a uh, back end of the the list edition. Really? So, yes, I was told he was uh, a very strong candidate, well within the top 25, not a guy just thrown on at the end to fill out the list to 30. So while I don't necessarily think that, you know, he's going to beat out Jalen Brunson or Marvin Bagley um, or Trey Young for the award. I do think there is a, uh, a growing respect for Gary Clark, what he has meant to this university, uh, who he is as a person. Um, I thought Jeremy Rauch did a great um, story on Fox 19 that I'm sure everybody has seen by now about Gary and uh, his biggest fan. Um, awesome stuff to see. Gary get on a list like this because normally it is not for a guy like Gary. He's also been named to the, um, the, the named as a finalist for the, is it Carmelone award? 
Yeah, power forward. Power for the top power forwards, the ten top power forwards in the country. Um, those things are usually for the guys that are putting up 17, 18, 19, 20 points a game. And it's been pretty pretty awesome to see the recognition for Gary because his game isn't, you know, eye-popping numbers on the stat sheet. It's the ability to make plays that win, and seeing him recognized for that has been awesome. Yeah, like you said, the growing respect. Because coaches talk and, and people hear things and word travels, and they could have – People could have tuned in and seen Cincinnati crush UCLA, and Gary definitely was formidable on that one. And if you go to Ken Palm, they have the Ken Palm Player of the Year standings, and Gary Clark ranks seventh in the country in that. So there's there's respect, especially with regard to the numbers. And also, if you go to Sports Reference, sports-reference.com, and on the offensive side and the defensive side, both his ratings are really high and his, his box plus minus all those kind of metrics. And then you look at the fact that, wait a minute, this guy's a 75% free throw shooter. Now he's over 40% from three, 41 and a half. So there's really nothing that he doesn't do. He's and, what, is he a, is he a 50, 40, 75 slash right now? Yeah, pretty much. He's, he's 74.8 from the line, but you yeah. can give him that. Yeah. So 50, 40, 75 and, and so, because because a couple of years ago he shot fifty two percent from three, which shocked a lot of people. And very limited 13, attempts. Yeah, thirteen for twenty five. But, but this year he's seventeen for forty one. And in conference play, he's he's over fifty percent. He's just he's really picking his spots and and taking the good looks. And he's ten for nineteen. So that's just that's just an, the fact that he can already score with the, his back to the basket with either hand. And then you just all the other things that he does, as we know, on the court defensively, being a leader, deflections, all that stuff. He can pass the ball, great offensive rebounder, just a, a leader. And then and you mentioned the stuff off the court, and it just it, it adds up to, yeah, he should be on that list. Do you think that they they don't release the the votes for that, do they? And, and you can find out where everybody finished once it's all said and done? No, but I might be able to find that out. Yeah, well, I think we're going to need to know that so that we can – have problems with the people that got voted ahead of him and, and you know, make a case. But yeah, he, he, the way things go, it, it, unless you're averaging a bunch of points or your team is undefeated or, you know, whatever the case is, it's going to be hard for him to, to win that award. But the well, fact I mean, that he's even on the list is, Trey, is definitely huge. Trey Young's going to win the award, right? Uh, he's, I don't know. He's been he's been falling off a little bit the last week or two. If by he still leads the country in points per game and assists per game. Yeah, it's gonna be hard to not. Yeah, he, I mean they're gonna give it to him. That's remarkable. Because when you know you're talking about the entire country, usually there's some guy in a small conference that's putting up you know twenty eight thirty points a game because he's really the only guy on his team, and he's taking a high volume of shots and. Trey Young is outscoring all of those guys. Yeah, that's true. I was just, I was actually just about to say like the Jose Juan Barea type of thing. Yeah, the guy you haven't really heard of, and he's averaging twenty-seven or plus or whatever the case is. Yeah, and and, and assists too. Yeah, you're right. It's he's gonna good. win. Yeah, he's gonna win. I mean, I think Marvin Bagley's the best player in the country, um, but Trey Young is doing things that you have to very much take notice of and reward. I would. And rem- and remember, this award is going to be skewed towards the offensive side, I would think. Absolutely. Because, because, because neither Bagley or, or Young are really bringing a ton to the table defensively. I mean, Bagley will block some shots and he's a decent rebounder, but he's not leading his team in any kind of other stuff. I mean, he, 
Gary does Gary does it all, but he is being recognized and rightfully so. Absolutely. Now let's uh, before we, we we start getting into some game stuff. Let's let's move on to Gary's running mate because I think it has been the one of the reasons that this team has been able to really separate itself. Um, and we talked about you know the the storyline all year having five guys on the floor that can score at all times. Yes, that is a huge help. What has also been a huge help is as teams have shifted their focus to Gary Clark and doing whatever they can to take Gary Clark away on the offensive end of the floor, Kyle Washington has stepped up and abused them for that choice. And if you look at the the Ken Palm American Athletic Conference standings, I believe Kyle has moved up into fourth place on that list. Really? He has. He okay. has. He has moved. It, it's it's Gary Clark one, Jacob Evans two. Ooh, yeah. Rob Gray, Rob Gray Kyle three, Washington. Kyle Washington four. I don't, think enough, I don't think enough is being made of the senior year that Kyle Washington's having. You're right. All the focus, for the most part, has been on Gary Clark. And then a lot on Jacob Evans, too, for his year. Yeah, and I and I think we need to give Kyle more credit because if you go back and look at a lot of these games where Cincinnati has has gone on a run and built a big lead, a lot of the time it has been sparked by Kyle Washington. For sure. Go back and- to, just go back to SMU. That game was closer than it should have been at halftime. They came out at halftime out of halftime and Kyle Washington put them on his back for about five minutes. And the next thing you know, the lead was 30. Yeah. I mean, I I just, I just don't think he's being appreciated. Like I know you want to talk about his defense, which has been vastly improved and is why he's on the court for as long as he's on the court right now. If you remember back to last year, he would have lapses. Mick would take him out. He didn't have, those chances to go on big scoring runs. Now he's able to stay on the court longer. It's allowing him to get more buckets, and he's not a liability on the defensive end. He has really grown as a player in his second year. And it's not just the the technique and everything, which is remarkable considering where he's been last year, where he was last year, but the, he really hasn't gotten in much foul trouble. He's not going over the back for rebounds he can't get or reaching in. I, I just I go back to that, that play against UCF uh, – that we were sitting there watching right in front of us where he was getting back down into the post. I think it was Chad Brown. I'm pretty sure for UCF and he held his ground. He didn't, he just kept his hands up. He didn't reach. He didn't slap none of that stuff. The guy went up to try to do a jump hook and Kyle blocked it. And that was, we've seen him block shots, help side and, and coming over and things like that. But, but just every, every part of that play was like, Whoa, man, this guy can defend now. Yeah. And, and that was something that, that, if if he would if he'd be able to do that, we knew he could score. Now on that side, though, on the scoring side, he has been much more patient and taking his time. He hasn't forced. There was you you started to see at times earlier in the season when he would get double and triple teamed, and he would still try to shoot it. Or and Mix really gotten him, and the coaching staff has really gotten him to take a second and and make a pass. And he hasn't gotten a ton of assists, but he has. He has gotten the ball where it needed to go to get, a, you know, maybe the hockey assist on it. And if you look at his his percentages and everything, I mean, he's just he's he's very very efficient. Eight for eleven from two, five for six, five for eight, three for four from two. Those are the last four games from him. And he's not he, he, his three point percentage is is about where you would expect. And um, yeah, I mean, he he's he's about let's see, was he forty one point two from three? So 
And then he's 55 from two, and he's getting the line a little more. So, yeah, just his all-around game, and, and I what's think his, the shot blocking. What's his free throw percentage? 73. So, basically, you've got two 50, 40, 75 guys on your front court. That yeah, that gets the job done. And one in your backcourt, because I think Jacob's right there, too. Yeah. I don't know. Is he, is he at 50 from two? <laughs> Jacob, I'm or pretty sure he is. Field? Oh. Well, I'm just – oh, I was – are you just doing the field overall, Jacob? Yeah. I, I, I just because when I look at Ken Palmer, just has the the two and the three, so I can't really speak to that unless I pull up his other thing. But he he's exactly fifty percent from two. He's forty point two percent from three. Jacob Evans is, and then he's so, eighty eighty point six percent from the line. Yeah. So when you when you add those two together for field goal percentage, he would be a little bit under. Correct. Okay. Still very good. Very good. It's they're, they're, Kyle's emergence, and it, it really is his consistency, and that's something that that Cronin talks about a lot with with players. When you ask him specifically about different different players on the team, and he's been doing this for years, he just says like, really, he's always looking for consistency. You, you figure you know what you're going to get, and that's on both ends. So if Kyle's going to give you, and he's he's getting rebounds too. I mean, he's he's on the offensive glass like the UConn game and. And just in all facets, yeah. and then you add that add that to just all of his energy and passion, leadership, all those intangibles, things that the team needs to keep it going. I mean, yeah. He, so 23, 23 and two. So 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 they're fifty three and eight With since Kyle. he got here. Yeah, fifty three and eight. Pretty pretty good. Yeah. Okay. So to be specific, Kyle is a fifty three forty one seventy three slash fifty three percent field goal. 41% from three, 73% from the free throw line. Gary is 51, 41, 74. And Jake is 45, 40, 80. Okay. So that's high level offense from your top three guys. And, you know, 13 and a half, 12.8, and 11.5 points per game. And then Cumberland in there as well at 10.8 in terms of the double digit guys. So they're getting exactly what we thought they were going to be getting basically from the four mainstays at the top of the roster. And Kyle, I think has really started to find another gear as we're coming down the stretch. And that's going to be huge both against Houston and against Wichita state. Um, We saw he was able to get Houston's bigs in quick foul trouble uh, in that first game, even as they were going on their run, Kyle was putting fouls on them. And then they had what two foul out and another with four. They used fourteen fouls between their three centers. Yeah, he and and yesterday when I talked to to Chris Gardner from the Houston Roundball Review at the very end, he said he said I don't know what the numbers are, but Kyle Washington likes to score against Houston. He just whatever it is, he just he he just does whatever he wants. And if you remember the game on the road last year, I think he had close to twenty in that yeah. one. And he yes, and he obviously had a good game the first time. So he's been. If if he gives you what he's giving you, it it does make you a legit top five team, just because the, the, you, if Gary's going to give you what he gives you, then what what a team's going to do? How many teams out there have enough depth and size and athleticism up, up front to really do much about those two? Maybe you can stop one, but I don't know about both of them. No, I agree completely. Agree completely. So I definitely wanted to hit on uh, Mr. Washington there because I think he he definitely deserves some some credit and some accolades. And I know 
everybody is going to be very upset to see Gary go on senior night. You should be equally as upset to see Kyle Washington go because he's been a huge part of the program's success over the past two seasons. Yeah, when you look back, you know, I don't want to talk about next year, but you just you, you we're spoiled right now with, yeah. with both those guys, especially with a, a scorer like Kyle. I mean, he that that left-handed shot. I mean, when he was gotten the, he got those going against uh, SMU. I mean, it was just no matter what he he almost did like on one of them like a windmill where he like jumped up, brought it down, and then did the little flip. Like it was, it was like it was like an in, it was almost like a windmill shot, and it just sat on the front of the rim and just went right through. Like I said in the in the on Twitter during the game, it was like he was going through his checklist of that left-handed hook, like whatever angle he oh seventy-three percent check. 82% check, like, I'm coming from here, I'm coming from there, I'm coming from here. I've made the comparison before. I know you're a baseball guy. He reminds me of – he's the Bronson Arroyo of basketball. Yeah. Because he hits you with that thing from so many different angles. And it, it, you never know where it's coming from. You never know where the release point is. You never know if it's the fastball or the slider. But it's effective. And he, he puts the ball in the basket. And once he gets going with that thing – it's almost like he missed the first couple against SMU, and then he saw one drop, and as soon as he saw one drop, it's just like he turns the magnet on, and the ball just zoop, right in the net, right in the net, right in the net. Yep. It's, yeah. been, uh, it's been a lot of fun having Kyle. Kyle, I'll say this too, um, Kyle's a different guy this year. And I don't know like if you noticed it last year, but he always had a smile on his face last year. Um, he joked around a lot. That is not happening this year. His his facial expression is dialed in from the minute yeah. he walks into the gym until he leaves every day. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but I have. Now that you say it, yeah. Now that you say that, I I, I know what you're talking about. It it didn't click in my head until you just said that. But yeah, he is all business. He's locked in. I think the team as a whole is very very locked in. Just from when you talk, just talk to any of the other players, and they're they know exactly what they need to do to win. And they're doing it. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a tangent. We didn't. You know, we've talked about this before, but the the uh, the coaching staff does a phenomenal job with scouting reports, um, and we've given them credit on that uh, on this podcast. I would also say the players deserve a ton of credit for their ability to follow said scouting report and to execute what is on that scouting report. And if they're not initially to be able to dial back in and shut off you know what might be working for the other team they they just they've had great focus i think is the, right. the key to it yeah and that, i don't know i'm not around them when they're just hanging out but it sounds like they're they're watching games and just and really taking the extra time to go over these these players and and talk and actually have conversations it's like it's like if you're in the dugout and you know baseball game and and a team that's a really good team generally when the first guy goes up and faces the pitcher, he comes back in the dugout. And people are all, the other players are up to him like, "What's he throwing? What's his? You know, how much movements on that two seamer? Blah blah blah." And it seems like that's what they're doing. Because I asked Kane and Kyle both, and they're like, "Yeah, we know how important it is. Like, you know, we're taking it very seriously." So that's a big factor. That 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 definitely plays into the number two defense. Yeah, uh, I I would most certainly agree. Um, all right, let's get into the next couple games because they're going to be big ones. Um, Houston, I, I mean, we've talked about Houston, you know, Cincinnati to this point has done a very good job on Rob Gray uh, throughout his career. I would most certainly expect to get his best shot to get 
everything that Rob Gray has um, in terms of effort uh, in his last chance to beat Cincinnati in the regular season. Um, I'm not expecting a, a three for 14, four for 15 performance from Rob Gray. Right. Well, I asked Chris Gardner about him yesterday and, and I asked, you know, what was it? Was it the defense of Jacob Evans? And, and he said, it's partly when you put length on him that it bothers him. He's, he's only six foot one or six foot two, but he also said he's, he's got some ego too, being with the team's leading scorer that he's going to take some shots he shouldn't take. And I think that led to being four for 15. He probably could have passed four or five of those that, yeah. that weren't the best looks. So I'm looking to see, because I know the coaching staff down there had a, had a talk with him. And, and since then he's, he's, he's reeled it in. So we'll see on Thursday if he's going to be more efficient and not force things as much. Cause he has plenty of weapons for sure. So that, that's something to watch with, with Rob Gray. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, you, Devin uh, Davis is very, very good. Uh, we saw him go head-to-head with Gary Clark and hold, more than hold his own. Yeah. Um, Armani Brooks has really been 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 coming on. as a, I mean, he's a little bit streaky, but if he sees one go through the net, you expect that, that heat meter to turn up instantly. Yeah, he was five for his first five against SMU last Thursday. Yeah. Ended up seven for nine. And he – and he and Corey Davis Jr. had 30 points against UC last time. They had nine threes. And I think some of those were guarded, too. Not They weren't all wide open. Some yeah. were. But. Well, I mean, what happened was, and it's it's what happens in basketball at times, they got a couple open looks early. And then once you get in that rhythm, it doesn't matter if you're guarded. That, that you know, they, they felt that that flow very early in that game because they got a couple open looks. And – um. You know, the Cincinnati defense was able to adjust, and I think that's a, a big benefit to them in this second game is that they they took Houston's absolute best shot the first 12 minutes of that game. Like, they know everything Houston has in the tank uh, in terms of what they can do, and, you know, I, I don't see any way they take Houston lightly. No, no. That, like like we just said, that, that you know, they're so locked in. They, they know what this means. And and on Houston's side with the with the motivation to – get the payback, but also that this would pretty much punch their ticket. I don't see how you keep them out of the tournament if they beat Cincinnati and Wichita and, and, and looking at, yeah, Arkansas big, they beat them big. Um, and, and looking at their three point percentages, Corey Davis and Armani Brooks are both over 43 and West Van Beck is 40 and at home, they're 43.1%, which I believe is 12th in the country in, in home three point percentage. So, you, you, I don't know if you heard, I think it was on Andy Katz, maybe when Mick, they were asking him a few weeks back um, and he was talking about how he, he's like, I, I, I'm not getting any sleep because I'm worried about how we're going to defend Houston. And this was a couple of games before they had even Houston on the schedule. So when you factor in that they shoot nearly 10 percentage points better at home from three and they already made quite a few threes in the first meeting, then that that's a huge concern. Yeah. And, and they know they're going to have to do that. Like, you could also say Houston is going to be ready for they, – like, they've taken – they've also taken Cincinnati's best shot. Cause True. Cincinnati scored, what, 67 points in the final 28 minutes of that game? Something like that, yeah. It was something absurd, whatever yeah. it was. Well, well it was what, 33, 33-15, right? Right, so what was the final six, 60, So 65 and, like, 27 and a half minutes, yeah. Yeah. Like they, they, Cincinnati put their foot on the gas real hard 
after that point that they were down 18. So Houston has also taken Cincinnati's best shot. So both of these teams are going to be well aware. And, you know, it, the the interesting part there will be the crowd because it's not going to be big. You know, I, I heard your, your thing yesterday. That place holds 8,000, and that guy sounded like he felt they would be very fortunate to have five in there. Five yeah, that, and they're not giving away tickets. Like, everybody else has been giving away tickets when Cincinnati comes to town. Memphis even was doing it. SMU I saw the other day, and I think UCF. I mean, he's, it's amazing. They're, they 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 really – everyone's pulling out all the stops to try to knock off Cincinnati, and rightfully so. You, you get a scalp like that. But, but do you think – do you think – and I'm looking at um, – I think that 65 is like my key number. And and, and I don't want to – I mean, you, you'll read my uh, scattering report and I, I, I outline this a little further. But it just seems like that UC is going to have to get to 65 somehow and they're going to have to hold Houston under 65, which is easier said than done. Um, I don't think that they're going to be able to beat Houston and, if, and keep the game in the 50s. I, I don't I don't see it. They're just – they're, and it's, and and especially because Houston's so good defensively at home, they're they're eighth in the country in points per possession at home. So I'm looking at that number and trying to figure out how UC is going to get to 65 and how they're going to hold Houston under 65 because I feel like that's a that's kind of the magic number I can see. Yeah, I mean I think that's more than fair. Um, I, that's and we talked about the first time with Houston. We talked about this. I don't think they get enough credit for how good they've been defensively this year. No, because that's been the biggest difference for them. They, the Kelvin Sampson's offenses have been pretty good at Houston this right. year. They're they're what fifty spots ahead of where they they have been defensively. Yeah, I mean they they have so much more depth now. That's that's one of the factors I'm sure. And then you add a guy like Corey Davis Jr. with his just his like kind of his uh, fire and mental side that he brings to the table. He's he, he, he's it's infectious with the rest of the team, but yeah, they, they have, they've had some guys out there the last few years, like, uh, I don't know, Kyle Meyer maybe, or uh, Dan rad chicken Knowles, who <laughs> you're just like, these guys you can exploit defensively and, and some of their guards as well in the past, but they just have a lot more depth. And then gray is more locked in as a senior now. And Davis wasn't healthy last year, Devin Davis. So, that yeah, twenty second in Ken Palm is legit, and then again, I mean, they're eighth in the country at home. That's it's no joke. Um, damn, I forgot where I wanted to go. Well, let me just <laughs> well, let's just talk about Snips real quick then, okay. our sponsor, because uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you have not yet, it takes two seconds to type in sni.ps. Just pull up your browser and do it on your phone or wherever you're on right now. It'll take you two minutes. Just check it out. If you're somebody who uses social media and learn about it, they have a couple of tutorials that don't, don't take any time at all. Um, you might even be able to make some money with your posts, which I'm sure you wouldn't want to turn down. And then the other cool thing I think is just that when you post something, you can go back and look and they have all these demographics and they show you who's looking at your stuff. And snips has been kind enough to sponsor us the last few months and we greatly appreciate it. So do us a favor as fellow Bearcat fans and just type in SNI.PS and just spend a couple minutes on there checking it out. That's all we ask. Thank you. All right. Um, you got anything else on Houston? Most of it's in the scouting report, but, okay. but yeah, I, other than just the fact that, yeah, they, they, they're just trying to punch their ticket. And if they do, they're probably in. And, and yeah. we were talking, we were talking before off air that it, they're, they're grading out somewhere in that 10 seed range. So, 
you figure that UC versus Houston is almost like a two versus a 10 slash seven seed because now they're at home. They're more like the seven. And when they were on the road, they were probably more like the 10. And the hit, they, <laughs> they obviously were tough to shake in that one. So this game will be even harder, but it's going to be equivalent to probably what a second round tournament game would be for Cincinnati. That's the way I look at it. I agree, and I, that was where I was going to go before when I when my brain spaced out. This would lock them I knew into it. the tournament. I, I knew it. I knew. Yeah, I knew that's where you're going. So this would lock them into the tournament if they beat Cincinnati. I mean, barring you know losing their last four games or whatever, but they're not going to do that. They're no. they're good, man. This team's legit. I mean, these these numbers are real, and the depth and dude, their coach is Kelvin Sampson. Like, if if whatever happened at IU didn't happen, and he stays there and gets starts to build his culture there. I mean, he was only there a couple of years before he got. I don't know if he got fired or had to step down, whatever the case was. Like he had already been to a Final Four at Oklahoma. He goes to IU, and he probably would have done big things there. He could have been a Hall of Fame coach, and he's, it's not like he forgot how to coach. So they're legit. What did you think of his comment the other day about um, you know that UC is not hard to prepare for, but they're a monster to play? I think that's right. Yeah, I, I know some people took offense to it. I, I think that's probably right. What? Yeah. What they do isn't overly complex, but they're really good at what they do. Exactly. That's kind of what I took away from that. I like the I like the hundred mile an hour fastball, and it's got movement on it, and they just say hit it, and that that's that's pretty cool because because I don't think that UC had I think UC the last few years had like a like a ninety one mile an hour two seamer with a lot of sink on it, and uh, this year they do they they've got the, they got the heat, so it's a it's a different gear this year. Brought a young guy up for the minors. Big strong arm. Um, Wichita Rice. State. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the another one. They're going to be dialed in. They know what is at stake for them. They could they could jump a seed line or two. Bear bear does, bear downstairs does not like us talking about Wichita State. He's losing his mind for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, spe- yeah. Especially if they went on the road. That's definitely worth a seed line or two. Yeah, I mean they're you know they're. They have not had the season that, that they thought they were going to have. This would allow them to kind of point back in that direction heading into uh, the NCAA tournament because I'm not – maybe I'm underselling the Bearcats, possibly. I'm not counting on going in there and winning on senior day on the last day of the regular season. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult. So Tall this task. one – Yeah. Yeah, this, this is – this team is, um, you know, you look through what they've done and they lose to Oklahoma at home. They give up a lot of points in that one to Trey Young and and their backcourt. Uh, Notre Dame uh, in, in Maui, they probably should have won that game. They had a lead late and they just weren't able to close it. I mean, they beat the hell out of Marquette out there, who's t- proven to be not that good. Um, but but what I've, what I've, I think what the common theme with this team that I've noticed, and, and if you – if you if you go back to the first game of that um, Maui when they played California, who's terrible, and they're they're just they're not good at all. But in the first half, a, a six three junior named Don Coleman was doing anything he wanted. He ended up with thirty five in that game, and then like I mentioned, Trey Young, and then how about Shake Milton drops thirty three on him. Uh, Houston scores seventy three on him on the road, and. And Temple in the second half was able to what, – what I'm getting at, there's a theme. Their defense has allowed teams to get into a rhythm, especially on the perimeter. 
And as Mick Cronin has said a million times, you can't let teams get into a rhythm, especially on the road. They don't disrupt anything with those guards. They're good offensive players. Some of them are even great, like Landry Shamit. They're not forcing any turnovers this year. They're not getting any steals. So teams are able to just settle in and say, we can, we can run our initial stuff and, and no one's trying to take us out of it and, and we can get the ball where we, want, where we want it to go. So that's what I'm noticing as far as their weakness. What have you seen from them? I mean, very similar. Look, Connor Frankamp and, and the Reeves kid are very good offensive players. But if you have high-level wings, those two just aren't the high-end athlete that you need defensively. And right. this, ha- this has to be very tough for Greg Marshall because his teams are always very, very good defensively. And this team is not very good defensively at all, especially on the road. They, I mean... Some t- and they've had a little bit of struggle at home, but on the you know away from home, they they just aren't connected. They aren't dialed in. They like you said they don't they don't really do anything to make you uncomfortable uh, when you're on offense. And that that's a bad recipe as you're coming down the stretch going into March. Yeah, I mean Tulsa, you know they had to really hang on to beat Tulsa. They got lucky. Tulsa had a look at the end to tie the game. They, they beat them by three on the road. And Tulsa's good. Two looks. Yeah, but I mean, sixty nine is is way. T- what I think that Temple game was really, and, and I remember that day. I looked when I when I when I saw oh Wichita State at Temple tonight. I just started thinking right away. I was like, Wichita State better pack their lunch for that one. I don't think they realize because because in this league, you better bring your defense on the road, or, or you're gonna be in trouble. Because like they go to Houston and they give up seventy three, and you would think that they think that they can score that many, but you got to hold Houston in the sixties to win that. You got to hold Temple into the 60s to beat them on the road if you if you if you want to but it just seems like there's that you know that element is just not there but what but the element that is there well there's two elements the three-point shooting which can come and go but the rebounding is really strong they've yeah, they're, got their two guys inside are really really good on the offensive glass yeah well i think shaq morris is a very versatile big guy and he's tough to handle but it's really that uh, Richard Kelly and Daryl Willis that that kill people on the glass. Daryl Willis, six nine senior. Richard Kelly, six seven senior. Richard Kelly is fourth in the country in He's offensive re- re- rebounding percentage. Yeah, like that. Like so. So what they what they can bring to the table is if they're not hitting threes, then they can get those second chances. And that's I think that's one of the reasons why they've scored so many points at home. They've been able to get a lot of second chances and they shot the ball better. But that's that. My major concern would be to take away the three-point line and somehow take away their offensive rebounding. And then on the other end, you would feel like you could score enough points to beat them. Gary Clark versus Rashard Kelly is a heavyweight fight. Yeah. In the paint. I mean, that that is going to be – I might just watch that. Like, I'll have you watch the game, and I'm just going to watch those two. No, I'll watch it too. Yeah, and, and Willis too. When Willis comes in, it's like they have two – it's like it's like with Jennifer and Kane, but 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 with uh, offensive rebounding guys that they can throw at Gary. So it's that's a scary element of the game. Very much so. Um, yeah, you know, you would hope Gary can can negate that some, uh, but not going to be easy. No, not going to be easy by any stretch. You know, the the one guy though that I I don't know how much you've been following them this year, but but McDuff Marcus McDuffie, the six eight junior who. He was on – I saw him on some first-round mock drafts before maybe, I guess, last summer. Yeah. And, and I know he had the foot injury, 
and he missed some games to start the season. And it just doesn't seem like he's figured – he's gotten back into the flow. He, I don't see him in crunch time a lot. Like, for instance, like his offensive rating last year on Ken Palm was 118.3, which was in the top 200 in the country. And this year it's all the way down to 100.8. And he's shooting under 33% from three. He hasn't been a great three-point shooter, but he just hasn't gotten back into the flow. And you're seeing Austin Reeves on the floor in, in crunch time, it seems like. So what we need to find out is is – what what his status is and and if he's going to be anything close to what he should be coming into the game against UC because I don't see him. He's had what one the most points he's scored in a game is twelve this year. He's not really getting a ton of rebounds either. Um, so I don't know it, it, that that's somebody to, to watch because he could be a guy that if if all of a sudden he just starts feeling good on that day he could be the difference because because they got a ton of talent already and you add him tough to handle. Well, yeah, he's kind of why they. Like, he's supposed to be that two-way guy. That guy that really makes them different defensively and can and has versatility and can do a lot of things. And we haven't seen that from him. So, it's not just offensively. Like, the defense hasn't really improved since he came back either. Yeah. He's he's kind of like their Jacob in a little bit, in, in a way, and he's six foot eight. I mean, Jacob can do a few more things, but he's, like you said, two-way player. I mean, he's had some... He's had some games. I mean, in that Temple game, he has 11 points and five assists and eight boards. So, I mean, he can he can do some things. He just – you're looking at some of these minute totals, 20 and 18 the last two games. I see a f- couple of 15s in there. So, I don't know if it's just a matter of Reeves has just been so hot from three that, that Marshall feels like he has to play him more minutes. And he's and, been scorching hot. Oh, God, yeah, with hands in his face. I mean, he's been insane. But those those shooters they have are, are a real big concern. There's no doubt there. So yeah. so the so these so these next two games are going to really test UC's three point defense, which is, you know, what is it? Is it still up in the top ten? I have to, I I have believe to look. So, yeah, yeah. So that if if they if they really have a top ten three point defense, they'll they'll have to prove it these next two. Absolutely. So well, what, what's your uh, what's your prediction? One and one, two and zero, zero and two. By the way, they are sixth in three point defense at an even thirty percent. Um, man, I mean, I I don't want to be negative. It's just I I don't know about Thursday night. I, I, it just seems like Houston is just so primed to win a game like this, and and UC's been they've been playing well. I don't know if they've been playing their best that they can really play, and they haven't had a ton of tests, but it. it it, it's hard. It's it, it, let's just say that if you see wins this game on Thursday night, it's going to be pretty impressive. So I don't know how confident I am that they that they can do it, just because Houston has just been insane at home, and they they scare you with their three point shooting. I think they'll beat Wichita on Sunday. I, I'm and especially if they lose to Houston, I would I would pretty much stamp they're going to bounce back and beat Wichita. So I don't know. I guess I'll I guess I'll have to lean towards one and one, and with the hopes of two and zero. Oh. What about you? I'm gonna go two and zero. All right. I think they get the job done in Houston. I, yeah, it's. Go ahead. Sorry. It's gonna be tough. I mean, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be down to the wire. Um, I just trust UC's talent overall enough to figure out a way to get the job done. Yeah, and another another element. This is always just one of those subjective things, but maybe they're going to be a little too jacked up or maybe they're going to be trying a little bit too hard and putting too much weight on the game and they might not – maybe they'll make some mistakes or they won't shoot the ball well because they're trying too hard. I don't know if that's 
there's any element to that, but that would be something that would be in favor of the Bearcats if, if that happens. I'd, lo- I'd love to know like how early they show up and what their shoot-around was like based on what they did here. Because yeah. as we talked about, like they went hard that day before the game. And I think it showed in those last 28 minutes. Like they, I, I didn't see a team that had a lot of gas after that initial surge. Right. You know, they, they, they went crazy for 12 minutes. And then as UC ran them down, they just kind of looked like they were stuck in the mud a little bit. Now they, they, I thought they battled a little bit in the second half, but it never really felt like once UC took the lead that Houston was a threat to get it back. You know what I mean? Down the stretch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just felt like once UC had it, the game in control, that was, you know, it was it was over. So Yeah, yeah. What what I want to see is, will UC come out cold, shooting the ball like they did against SMU, and then what, you know, this team's going to have much more, much more firepower than SMU had to get some separation like we saw in the first matchup up here. So if if you, you'd like them to, to be a little more accurate early on, just so that it, it, it can they can keep it closer and potentially even have the lead going into the break. But yeah, I mean, more more often more likely than not, it's going to be we're going to be in the second half and maybe UC's down by a few or whatever the case is, and just going to have to grind it out at the end. And it'll come down to proving that that two, number two ranking in defense is is legit and finding ways to get the ball in the basket, whether it's on offensive rebounds or, or getting to the foul line or just plain old making some shots. If Kyle and uh, Gary can go five of eight from three again, that would help. Yeah, let's just stamp that. If that, <laughs> if that happens, that would be a nice addition to have those yeah. two step out and bang five threes again. Now, um, did you did you notice? Did you notice? I mean, I don't know how often you check Ken Palm, but but you know, last year their um, adjusted O was one fourteen point nine, which is the best ever in the Cronin era, as everybody knows. But right now they're one fourteen point oh. So they're they're almost on the heels of where they were last year, and because if you look at it, you're like, oh, they're 51st, and let's look at the past data, and everyone's like, no team with this sort of ranking ever, you know, gets somewhere, whatever the case is. But um, I don't know. I, I feel like they're just as I think they're. We I, we've talked about this a lot, but it's just it's getting to the point where I don't know if that 51 is as scary as it would have been maybe a few years ago. Yeah, I agree. Because, and because I, of the personnel, yeah. And I think they're playing their, their best offense of the season now. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely turning it on at the right time. And, I mean, hell, it probably would have gone up a couple points um, had they not taken their foot off the gas for the last eight minutes in two of the last three games. That's true. The, the, I mean, they are – number three in the country is crazy. It's just – I don't think they've ever finished in the top 15 – under Mick, I know that, but but yeah, number three, it's just weird to see that they just keep creeping up. And I got something for you. Yeah, what you got? All right, here uh, you, you're going to have to guess what region Xavier's in. Did you see this thread? I think so. But here, go ahead. Here are the Ken Palm rankings of the bracket preview show that we saw on Sunday. Region one has Ken Palm teams number one, number three, number six, and number 11. Very strong, right? Yeah. Region B, Ken Palm number two, number five, number seven, number 12. Pretty tough. Yeah. I'll go, I'll, I'll, region C, 
13, 9, 16, and 31. Region D, 4, 14, 10, and 23. What region is Xavier in? Yeah, well, they, well they're now they're 12th, but yeah, they were 13th when that came out. So they had them as a number one seed as the 13th ranked Ken Palm team. Yeah, in and, with and, 9, 16, and 31. Yeah. While UC is 1, 3, 6, and 11. Yeah. Not surprising. No. Just, they, they, they tend to draw these uh, favorable matchups. But on the other hand, they do what needs to be done in the tournament and make things happen and, and not let teams make shots or, or they basically dare you to make a shot. You're not getting an offensive rebound and they can they had a million plays to call. But yeah, I know. It's I'm not too, I'm not I'm not too upset about it. I'm not too upset about it. I, but you know what, here's here's something and we'll definitely get into this when we get closer to the tournament time, but I was I was talking to my buddy yesterday and and I think what last year we were looking at like like who are those teams in the top 10 or 12 that are really scary because you're probably going to have to play one in the second round. And there were a lot of them. There were a lot of them. And obviously drawing UCLA was not ideal because of how well they could score. But this year it's weird because the teams in the top 10 to 12 aren't as scary. But what is is there's teams that are going to be in that, I don't know, 6 to 11 range that have a lot of talent but just had weird things happen or lost some games or had an injury or two. And just they fell back into that mix there that are that are going to be pretty scary. So it's yeah. like you still have that potential second round, uh, you know, Texas A and M or you know someone that has like a ton of talent or or even a Kentucky who I know hasn't but, been very good, but all of a sudden they have all these players and you just don't know. I'm just it well, just it no, just it, feels it, like last year wasn't the same. It was what, it was flip flop last year. It felt like what I was going to say is this is what we've seen all year. Like. All of those teams in the 7 to 10 range, I would say almost all of them are going to have one to two wins already under their belt over teams that are protected seats. Exactly. So they've knocked off a Kansas or a Duke or or a Villanova, whatever the case may be. Those are going to be the teams that are in that 7 to 10 range. Yeah. So Exactly. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's what's. It's just it's just a different dynamic and another reason to be paranoid if you're a Bearcat fan. Sorry to bring that up. Fair enough. But I just thought I just thought that it was uh, it, it was something that I didn't don't remember seeing to that level. And in the past we've seen it because that Steve Logan year we they put UCLA as an eight seed and they were in the top five that year at one point and they fell all the way to an eight. And I mean UC basically won that game if not for that ridiculous goaltending call on Max Seal, but. But yeah, I mean, you just don't know. So it's so when they talk about the seeds and the regions and all that stuff, it's like it's all matchups. I, it doesn't, yeah, it's not doesn't necessarily make a difference. In, so if UC loses this game in Houston and maybe to Wichita, and they somehow give them a three instead of a two, well, it doesn't necessarily mean that's a bad thing because maybe that seven seed that the other two is going to draw is going to be a terrible matchup. Right. And maybe that six is overseeded, and you could get a better. Or maybe it loses to the eleven, so you just don't know. But Either way, those there's some scary teams out there that were in the top ten a portion of this season and just haven't been able to handle it. Or things have happened and they dropped down and they're going to be in that other range. So definitely some some pitfalls or along the way, no matter where you're seated. Berg is already very worried about the tournament. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just pointing it out. Just pointing it out. I, to, I want to see if it worries other people. <laughs> we'll, we'll have a we'll have a we'll definitely have a discussion about it when it all comes out, but. I would imagine that there's going to be some scary lower-seeded teams. 
Absolutely. You got anything else? I don't think. I think we're good to go for uh, a war on Thursday night, and then uh, pretty spirited game on Sunday. That, that's I think that's the one everyone's been looking forward to, and this is this is the anticipated matchup of everyone. These are the teams that were picked one and two when the when the coaches decided who they thought would win the league and. But um, I mean, if, if Cincinnati goes two and zero, they wrap up this conference. Oh yeah, it's over. I think even one and one would with with the games that are left. The other team would still have a chance to catch. Like if you if you yeah. lose to Wichita, you're going to have to lose one more to fall back to them. But it gives you a chance for them to catch you on Senior Day. And if both teams have three losses and Wichita wins both games, they would have the tiebreaker. So you're right. I, I don't look for something like that to happen. I'm just saying if, if they get to two and zero, that pretty much wraps up the American Conference Championship for this team. For sure. And if you heard. On Saturday, on the game day, Seth Greenberg, who is always a champion of Mick Cronin in Cincinnati, I think he, I think Mick, I think Seth Greenberg has dreams almost every night that he's the coach of Cincinnati. <laughs> he, he's always, he's ever since the Huggins days, he's just like had a lot of envy. But he, he gives some credit. But then um, he was talking about the Final Four. He doesn't, he feels like they're Final Four caliber team. And then Jay Billis was like, he's like, this team could rip right through the American conference and get a one seed. I mean, they're, they they're just that good. So he was somebody who also early, early in the season said he thought they are, they were final four quality, but it's just the, you just keep having the thing in the back of your mind where ooh, they really played. That's a really, really good team this year other than Xavier. And we know how that went. And I know it was early, but they just haven't had those opportunities to play some legit competition. So we just, it, just can't really know until it happens. And that's right. that's just a little bit scary, but it's, hey, it's reality. No question. All right, that's going to wrap it up. He is the host of the Bearcat Grind, and also his side job is the director of basketball content for BearcatJournal.com. <laughs> <laughs> He's Justin Berg. I'm Chad Brendel. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast on BearcatJournal.com. <laughs>